In my weakest moment, I see you shaking your head in disgrace. I can read the disappointment written all over your face. Here comes the whisper in my ear saying, Who do you think you are? Looks like you're on your own from here. Cause grace could never come that far. But that shadow of that shame be down by all the pain. I hear you call my name, saying it's not over. My heart starts to be so Join us as we sing our praises to God together. Mm-hmm. 
As we sing these words, we want to know that they are true. We sing them and we repeat them. We write them on our hearts. We write them in our minds. And we pray that you would help us to know that they are true. We don't have to be slaves to fear any longer. But through your power, through the power of your spirit, we can know that we are your children and that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence knowing that we are yours. Amen. Arise my soul Shake off thy guilty fears, the bleeding. 
Spend a few moments praying together, and uh, it's a joy to join our hearts in prayer. As we uh, were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, we uh, did our prayer time a little bit differently, and I'm going to do that again today. Just want to open up to any of you who might want to offer a sentence or two of prayer. You might want to pray about something, a uh, burden you have about something in your life or something for others. You want to pray about our nation, our world, maybe people who are struggling with illness and pain. Maybe things that are in the bulletin, maybe something else. But um, let me invite you. We're going to take just a, a couple of moments of silence. And then I want to invite you, those of you who want to, uh, to pray, if you're able to stand, so it makes it easier for us to hear the prayers. 
just a one or two sentence prayer about whatever uh, is on your heart, whatever burden you feel this morning. Father, we come to this moment confident because you love us, because you're for us, because nothing is too great for you. You hear our prayers and your work in everything for which we pray. So, Father, now, hear our prayers.
Father, we thank you for your people around the world who are sacrificing, giving of themselves so that others may know of you. We pray for Leah Doty and her work with Wycliffe Bible Translators as um, she has been studying in Thailand and now moving on to another assignment. May your grace be upon her. We pray for our brothers and sisters who face um, some very severe opposition for their faith in you. We think of these men who are in court in Ethiopia and uh, who have um, been imprisoned. We ask, Father, that you would release them. We pray that you would bless their families, protect them. We pray for a spirit of openness and for a spirit of love and compassion and witness in the midst of these difficult circumstances. We do pray, Father, for our nation and ask that you would bring unity that is focused in you. We pray, Father, for the places of the world where there's tension and violence and war, that you would bring peace through your spirit. We pray, Father, for um, uh, refugees and those who are struggling from recent attacks and disasters. And We pray for the Standard United Methodist Church and Pastor Jacqua, that you would bless their ministry in their community and beyond. And, and Father, we pray for the needs that we represent today. For all who are grieving pain and loss of life in this world, we ask for comfort. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with health issues, that you would bring healing in your grace. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. And we ask that you would help us to be people who think more about others than ourselves. About people who who use uh, what you have given us to be agents of hope and healing of love and restoration, of truth and grace in our world of great need. We pray this, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, giving thanks to you for all of our blessings. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Um, please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. This is a reading from Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can, how can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there was a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And, the, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, through you, though you are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. Before you're seated, let me invite you to take a, a moment and share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Maybe find someone that you don't know and introduce yourself. There's one thing among a lot of things, but one thing we can know for sure about living in this world. Wherever there are human beings, there's going to be a struggle with sin. Wherever human beings exist, there's going to be a struggle with sin. Everywhere, every time, every place, wherever you find human beings, there's going to be a struggle with sin. It doesn't matter if you're talking about people who are, have rejected Christ or people who've embraced Christ. People who operate outside the walls of the church or all of us in here in this building today. Wherever human beings are, there is a struggle with sin. And when we continue in looking at the Sermon on the Mount and you come to this beginning of the seventh chapter, Jesus is recognizing that. And he's speaking to people who are citizens of his kingdom, people who have embraced the kingdom, people who, are, who want to be disciples. And he's speaking to us about how we respond to the reality of people struggling with sin. And whether those people are fellow believers or people who have completely rejected God, how do we respond How do we influence people who are struggling with sin? And Jesus begins by saying here at the beginning of chapter 7, he talks about judging. And the reason Jesus says that is because our natural human response when we see sin in other people is to judge them. I won't ask for for, uh, you to raise your hands. But I'm pretty sure if we took a census and said, how many of you have seen other people doing sin and have judged them, I suspect we'd be pretty close to 100%. It's the natural human response. And that's why Jesus says, don't judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Jesus is not saying we deny the fact that there is sin. The whole premise of this is people are going to struggle with sin. He's not saying that at all. He's simply saying how you address that, how you approach that, your attitude about it is imperative 
to what it means to be citizens of his kingdom, to be disciples of Jesus. And he's not saying you can't assess, you can't say, you know what, that is sin or that is sin. He's not saying that at all. He's simply saying, what's your attitude about it? Is your attitude judgment and condemnation and and a condescending spirit toward people? Or is your attitude one of love and compassion and grace toward people? Here's the trick about this, the difficulty about it. He says, however you judge others, that's the way you're going to be judged. Whatever standard you use in in addressing the sin of others is the standard that's going to be used in addressing your sin. Kind of turns the tables on us a bit. And our natural inclination as Christians is to want to give people the impression that we don't struggle with sin. And even though we know that's not true, we want people to think that's true. And there are whole lots of people around the world, and especially, I think, in maybe in this country, who view the church as people who think they're perfect. And that's why when we're not, not if we're not, but when we're not, they look at us and say, huh. And it ruins our witness. Because it's our attitude, it's our perspective about it. And so Jesus goes on to say, not just don't judge, but he says, let me, let me tell you about why this is a problem. Because you're complaining about the speck in that person's eye, and you've got a log sticking out of your own eye. Jesus loves hyperbole. You see it all the time. Nobody has a log sticking out of their eye. Can you imagine walking around with a log sticking out of your eye? He's simply saying, you think their sin is so bad and you judge them and you condemn them and you're condescending toward them and you're arrogant toward them. You forget your own sin. And the quickest way to become arrogant Christians is to forget or to deny our own struggles with sin. And so Jesus says, let's talk about this. Because if you think you don't struggle with sin, you haven't looked in the mirror. And you're all upset about this person's speck. You've got this log. And before you can do anything about the speck in their eye, you've got to address the log sticking out of your eye. You need to remember, because thinking about and remembering the log in our eye leads us to a spirit of humility. Because we recognize the only reason we can get, only way we can get rid of that log is through Christ. It's not because we're so awesome. It's because he is. And the standard that we hold other people often is, you have to do something about that speck in your eye, but I don't have to do anything about the log in my eye. And Jesus puts that mindset to rest. There is, in what Jesus is saying here, a sense of commonality about our sin, our struggle with sin. There is something about recognizing we all have this one thing in common. If we have nothing else in common, the one thing we have in common with every single person in the world is that we all struggle with sin. And it may be at different levels. It may be about different things. But human beings struggle with sin. 
Even people who have become followers of Jesus and have had and have, and have opened our hearts to him, we have a lifelong, continual struggle with sin. And we get better at it, and hopefully we, we continue to trust him more and the struggle, we win the battles more often than not, but we still struggle with sin. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. There is a commonality to this. About a month ago, I went through a, a battle with a kidney stone. I was told by my family that I couldn't, I couldn't blog about it and I couldn't send out tweets about it. But I, but I, I can bring it up in a sermon. So, uh, and so I, I'm at the. I had, it's, you know, it's amazing how something that's seven or eight millimeters can just stop you dead in your tracks. And some of you have experienced it, and you know what I'm talking about. So I'm at the hospital for this procedure. And they're going to put me under to do this. And, and so I can't have anything to eat after midnight and, you know, very little to drink. And that, and I think the stress of going through this created a, me started, I started getting a migraine headache. And so I'm, I'm lying there. We get to the hospital about 10. So I'm lying there on the little, you know, uh, gurney thing. And 10 o'clock becomes 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock because I'm waiting for my procedure. And all the while, my migraine is getting worse and worse and worse. And, and the, the nurse is trying to get a hold of the doctor saying, you know, we need to give him some medicine because he's got this terrible migraine. And the doctor wouldn't give me anything. And I remember lying there on that bed thinking to myself, that doctor has never had a migraine headache. I wish I had a doctor who had a migraine headache. Now, granted, I'd rather have a doctor that knows what they're doing and hasn't had a migraine as opposed to a doctor that doesn't know what they're doing and had a migraine. But I was thinking maybe those aren't the only two options. Somebody who has been through, knows what they're doing, and has understands the, how debilitating a migraine is. And when a doctor came in to look at me, to get me ready to go, he said, whoa, we're going to have to do something about this. And the nurse and I went, you think? You know? And so he gave me medicine, and in 10 minutes, I was feeling better. And, and it, there was this sense of, he just didn't understand what I was going through. And so he couldn't quite, couldn't quite picture the need that I had. There's something about that in the way that we, way we think about the sins that, that people deal with. That we need to remember this commonality and to remember what people are going through. To remember the pain and the agony and the difficulties, quite frankly, of overcoming sin. And the struggles that everybody has, even if they aren't the same struggles that we have. There is a sense of humility and commonality that we bring to trying to help people in their struggle with sin. That leads us to be much more patient and much more compassionate and much kinder, more loving. And it's not that we're denying the truth. We're not saying the sin isn't real or we just act like it's not important. It's extremely important. But we just approach it from a mindset of love and compassion instead of a mindset of judgment and condemnation. I think that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 6 when he talks about this thing about dogs and pearls and, and what's unholy and holy and pigs. And, you know, this is one of those verses where you, you read this and you think, I wish that kind of wasn't in the Bible. It's at least not something Jesus said because it doesn't really sound like Jesus, does it? Because you understand the context of the people sitting in front of Jesus as he delivers this sermon, these are, gonna be, these are Jewish people. And, and one of the ways in which Jewish people 
thought about Gentiles is that they would call them dogs and pigs. They had very little love for Gentiles. In fact, they had hate for Gentiles and vice versa. They were just, they were enemies of each other. And so if you interpret this literally, Jesus is saying, don't tell the Gentiles about what I've come to do. That doesn't seem right, does it? I think what Jesus is saying to them is, and he says this other places, that he has come for the house of Israel. Not to exclude everyone else, but simply the point is, let's get the house of Israel understanding why I've come, them embracing me and all that I have brought to save them so that they can be witnesses to the Gentiles and everybody else. It's really the word that God gives to Abraham. Abraham, he calls him out and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Not so just you can be a great nation, but so that you can be a blessing to all the nations of the world. It's what God calls Israel to be. He doesn't just call out Israel to be a nation so that they can be special, but so that they can bear witness to God, that they can show people this is what it looks like for people to have a relationship with Yahweh. And Jesus is saying the same thing. And so for us, I think he's really talking about the fact that there are right and wrong ways to address sin. There are right and wrong ways to influence people who are struggling with sin. And a lot of it has to do with relationships and timing. God cares about timing. Paul writes that, that in Galatians that Jesus came at just the right time. And that means that there were all kinds of other wrong times that Jesus didn't come. I don't know exactly why that time was the right time. But Paul says that was the right time. And all the other times were the wrong times. God cares about timing. And a lot of our influence on people and what we say to people and how we say it to them has a lot to do with timing. It has a lot to do with relationships. It has to do with earning the right, earning people's trust to say hard things to them, to speak to them about sin, to earn the right, to build relationships with people. And so often, we, don't, we want to bypass all of that because it's hard work and it takes time. We just want to get right to it. Let me just tell you what's wrong with your life. Let me just tell you all the wrong things that you're doing. Let me tell you all the things that God is condemning you about. And then we wonder why people don't want to hear it. It comes back to the right timing, building relationships, doing things in the right way. And when Jesus talks about throwing pearls to, to pigs and they trample them under, it's just not, they don't understand them. They have no understanding that these are valuable gems. You wait until people can receive it and accept it. And so often we just dump everything on people all at once. And then we expect them to just buy it and to receive it. And they can't. They're just not there yet. And it becomes about our agenda versus what's in their best interest. How do they most readily hear what we need to say and what we want to say and what God wants to say? Not just what do we want to say. You've probably had the experience of something getting in your eye, an eyelash or a piece of sawdust or something, and, and you work at it and try to get it out and try to get it out, and, and you work with it so long that your eye becomes irritated and you're getting irritated, and someone who might be watching you do that comes over to you and says, you want some help? I can help you get that out. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't really even know you, and I don't really want you sticking my, your finger in my eye. 
And they look at it and they go, no, I can get it. I can see it in there. Just let me get it. I'll do it for you. No, that's okay. I, I, I'll get it figured out. No, no, come on, I'll do it. And they shove you to the ground and they call a couple other people around and they hold you down and they're in there getting that thing out of your eye. And you're freaking out, you know, kicking, screaming, going, get your hand out of my eye, right? And eventually they get it out and they go, there, I got it for you. You're free from that. Is that really what you want? Do you really feel free or do you feel violated? Do you want to have an ongoing relationship with that person? Hmm, Probably not. You might file charges against them. And I think sometimes we get so enamored with trying to fix people that all we're thinking about is us. We're not really thinking about how they are going to feel about it. They're not ready for it. We we have no relationship. We have no trust built up. We're just going to fix them. And they end up as, as the pigs that come back against us and trample us and turn on us because we haven't helped them see Jesus. We've just made them angry. We've just hurt them more. In fact, they probably don't want to hear anything ever again about Jesus. Someone said to me recently, I was thinking about healthy relationships I have, and I don't think any of them ever started with me thinking, I'm going to fix that person. It's true. You think about your healthy relationships. It didn't start because you said, I'm going to fix that person. I don't think God views us that way. John 3.16 doesn't say, God so wanted to fix the world that he sent his only son. So God so loved the world that he sent his son. Now, does God want to transform us? Does God want to make us new? Yes. But there's a big difference between the motivation being to fix us and to love us. There's a big difference between us trying to fix people and loving people. The difference is if we want to fix them, the agenda is about us. If we love people, the agenda is about them. How can they most readily hear and see and understand who God is? What God wants to do in their life? I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he brings up the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's saying, think about other people. Put yourself in their shoes. How do you want people to treat you when you're struggling with sin? Do you want people holding you down? Do you want people judging you, condemning you? Or do you want people who are patient and loving, who speak the truth, but do it from a heart of compassion? People who want relationship, people who are willing to think about timing. Isn't that what we want from people? And Jesus says, that's how you ought to treat everybody else. That's how everything you do in your life ought to be. That's why that summarizes, Jesus says, everything God teaches in all the Old Testament, everything God says is about thinking about others before ourselves, thinking about how people are feeling instead of just how we're feeling. I think it's a glimpse into the new heaven and the new earth because in that day, we won't have a selfless thought. Everything will be about other people. Everything about that we do will be about how can we love God and how can we love other people. Which John says in his first epistle is if you say you love God and you don't love other people, if you don't think about other people before yourself, 
if you aren't sensitive to the needs of other people, then you don't really love God. Because the love of God changes our perspective about other people. Again, does it mean that we don't address sin? No. It just means that we address sin from perspective of love and compassion and grace and mercy. And yes, truth. Here's the thing I've been thinking about. When we talk about truth, what usually people mean is, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to say these things to you. And I'm not, we're not going to be soft on sin. We're not going to be soft on people who sin. And we're going to speak the truth and we're going to confront you. And my question is, when did speaking the truth always become about condemnation and judgment? How come speaking the truth is never about love? About doing what we do and saying what we say because we love someone, not because we want to condemn them. Because Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And that's not condemnation, that's love. It's grace, mercy. I'm convinced all of this comes back to our view of God. What comes to our mind when we think of God? I think, I'm coming to the conclusion that everything that we do in our lives, every way we think about our lives, is, a, is rooted in our view of God. If we see God as a taskmaster who can never please, if we see God as a boss who just keeps upping the ante, if we see God as, as one who's all about rules and regulations and measuring up, then when we encounter sin, we will be the same way. We will be all about judgment and condemnation and rules and, and, and all the things that people, telling people all the ways they are not doing what God wants them to do. But if our view of God is the image that he gives us in Scripture, as a God who cares so much about sin that he sends his son into this world to die for us, if, if our view of God is one who creates us because he wants relationship with us, if our view of God is one who is, as, as uh, Jesus says here, a father who loves to do good things for us, then our perspective when we encounter people struggling with sin will look a lot more like God. It will look like compassion and grace and wanting to help people see the truth but from a perspective of being set free and knowing the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God, not because we just want to condemn them because their sin makes us uncomfortable. So my question is, how do we get to that place? How do we get to the place where, where we influence people struggling with sin, where we respond to people struggling with sin in a way that looks like Jesus? How do we do that? I'm convinced it comes back to the spiritual disciplines. And primarily, the discipline of prayer. Some, there are some scholars who read this passage in Matthew 7 and, and see it as, a, as a, a number of disconnected statements of Jesus. That Jesus is jumping all over the place. They don't really have any connection to each other. They're just things that Matthew sort of pulled together. And, and, and Matthew may have taken the sayings of Jesus and put them together. He likes doing that. But I think they are clearly connected to each other. 
I think that one thing leads to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. They are not disconnected things. They are intimately connected. And that's why after Jesus talks about judging and condemning and, and this whole idea of how we, how we influence people struggling with sin, how we respond to them, he talks about prayer. Ask, seek. Because the way to to overcome the way to overcome this this natural inclination to judge and condemn people is to ask God to change us. To ask God to give us a new vision of who He is. To ask us to to remember who we are and our struggles, and to give us eyes to see people as He sees them, as people who are in pain and hurting and struggling. As people who have, who have encountered folks who have deeply hurt them, maybe have given them a really skewed view of who God is. And to be patient and loving and compassionate. But the only way we can do that is if God changes our hearts and changes our vision. And that can only happen when we pray to God, asking him to do just that. And that's why sometimes we take this prayer out of context. Because Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks the door will be open to them. And that becomes for us sort of a magic formula to get what we want from God. God, I asked, you got you to do it. I'm seeking, you got to do it. I'm knocking, you got to open that. I've, I've, I've done the formula, you're going to have to do it the way I want I think that's a total misrepresentation, a misunderstanding of the passage. I think we need to understand it in the context of what he's saying here. And what he's saying is our prayer for God to change us, our prayer for God to open our eyes to who he is, who we are, who other people are. We can pray that with confidence because that's a prayer that God always answers. God always answers our prayer for him to change us. God always answers our prayer to make us humble. God always answers our prayer to make us more and more like him. That is a prayer God always, always, always answers. And that's why Jesus can say with confidence, if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you find. If you knock, the doors open to you. Because it's about God changing us. Helping us see people the way he does. And the verbs that Jesus uses here are in the tense that mean continuous action. So what Jesus is really saying here, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Because we never get to the end of that prayer. We never get to the place where we see ourselves and God and others perfectly. It is a prayer we need to be praying continually. Because it's a prayer for us to be transformed day by day, moment by moment, into the image of Christ. That's a prayer God will always answer. So here's what I'd like for you to do this week. And hopefully for the weeks and months and years to come. However long you pray every day, a minute,
five minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, whatever it is. Let me, let me encourage you to add a minute or two to that prayer to ask God to give you his eyes to see him as he is, to see you as you are, and to see others as he sees them. Just a minute or two every day. If you have a prayer list, write it down on there so you don't forget. But every day, to pray, Lord, give me your eyes that I might be an influence for you on people struggling with sin. And here's the great thing about that. As we're all praying that prayer for us, for God to change our eyes, not only is that going to affect how we influence others and respond to others, it's going to change how others respond to us. And I'm convinced that will make us a church that looks like Jesus. Father, we pray that you will answer this prayer for us. Help us to see you as you are. Give us eyes to see ourselves and one another as you are as well. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. We have an opportunity now to give back to God from all that he has lavished on each of us as our ushers come forward to receive our offering. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphaned heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, Lord,
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.